a religion where the members named sisters have their voices and names taken from them as they serve as comfort to the military. Assassins working in bonded pairs known as daggers and rapiers and heavy anime tones snuck in. These are a few things that attracted me to first picking up The First Sister by today's guest, Lyndon A. Lewis. Lyndon's debut novel has seen success over 2020 as a quarantine novel, and with its sequel slated for this summer, we talk about themes of the novel, how it came to be, the not-so-subtle author's voice, as well as things like live-action roleplay, tabletop gaming, and Lyndon's involvement in The Walking Dead as a zombie. We also discuss matters like gender and gender identity, and how the journey to understanding yourself is never fully over. So draw your weapons, strap in, and let's blast off on another exciting episode of The Bomb with Ozzy Napalm. Welcome back to The Bomb with Ozzy Napalm, the most explosive podcast in Kingston, Ontario. And friends, today I'm joined with author, cosplayer, and LARPer, Lyndon A. Lewis. Lyndon, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for inviting me. So off the bat, one of the things I found refreshing with your debut novel was some of the themes and topics you chose to cover, such as gender roles and identities. But before we get into that, we should talk a bit about your own personal experiences to understand the writing and the author a bit better. So what has your personal journey looked like? For writing? You know, actually I've written my whole life, so I feel like my writing journey has gone alongside my my life journey. Mm-hmm. I was in I went to college for graphic design and I did graphic design for many years as like my day job while I was writing. Right. And there I, I wrote this novel before the first sister that I was like, I'm sure I can get this published. It's gonna be, it's gonna be, you know, great. It's gonna be a great novel. And nobody wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of decided like, I'm going to write the most selfish thing I could possibly write. So what, what's the most selfish thing I could write? Okay. I want swords that glow and I want space physics that don't make sense. (laughs) And I want a bunch of queer people front and center, like all my friends, I'm just going to throw all my friends into a book and we're going to, we're going to go with this. And people have really like, it's resonated with people. I was, I was shocked that my super selfish book was the one that everybody has really dug into. Well, one of the things that attracted me to it is while I was reading the synopsis, I gathered that one of the characters was using, you know, gender fluid pronouns, you know, they, them, there. And especially in sci-fi, one of our last guests was Sylvain Nouvelle, and he also writes strong female characters. And when Mm -hmm. I asked him about it, he had an interesting answer where he said he finds it bizarre people find it impressive he represents half the population. And that's been something that's resonated with me since speaking with him. But again, for sci-fi, it's still sort of a boys club for men or you end up with the stereotypical generic characters. So when I read that synopsis, I was instantly attracted to picking it up. Also, a big thing for me is I choose books by the cover. It's uh, one of my big things. And the artwork is phenomenal. Yeah, I have a, like I said, I did graphic design as my day job before I just kind of went full-time writing. And I definitely am one of those people who are like, ooh, a shiny car. And and (laughs) then I want to go see what it, what it says and we'll go from there. And yeah, I was super impressed with Bill, 
Bill Eilis, I think is how you say his name, is the one who did the cover. Mm -hmm. And of course, I was like the nitpicky person who was like doing the interior layout. Because <laughs> they were like, oh, look at this chapter break. And I was like, no, 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 let me design it. And then I'm just going to send it to you. <laughs> all the, all the headers for hero that say like play and the little like right. I, I just mocked that up in photoshop i was like here you go you can you can use this <laughs> like <laughs> no i i really like those chapters too because the way they're set up it very much feels like it's its own separate thing it really uh for everyone listening one of the characters in the novel majority of their time is done through recordings they left for another character Again, the layout is very different from the rest of the writing, so it does feel like it's its own separate thing. So that's really cool that you're the one who came up with that. Yeah, and I I, initially when I wrote the book, it was only First Sister and Leto's chapters. Okay. And like Hero is my favorite, and apparently Hero has kind of become like the big favorite of a lot of people. And even in the publishing house, they were like, we love Hero. We want more Hero. Will you like, like, because Hero had, you know, reached out to Leto, like, bye, sorry. And and they were like, can you write those chapters? Yeah. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote that at, I added like 10 to 20,000 words after I had already sold the book. And I was like, oh, wow. Sorry, guys. I wasn't very, um. It was a bit long-winded, but uh, you asked for it, so here you go. Everybody has really uh, welcomed it and been super accepting and kind of my <laughs> my crazy ideas with with that. So well, when I initially messaged you on Instagram telling you I picked up the book, like I said, on my way out, I had already purchased it. And the employee working at the door stopped to chat me up about how good it was. So that was a very confirming feeling, just being like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I've got a good book in my hands here. That's awesome. See, I, I, like I mentioned to you on Instagram, I'm in Madrid right now, mm -hmm. and I have not been able to come back to the States since quarantine came. Like the book initially came out in August of 2020, which is good old quarantine book. Yep. And I'm surprised that we've had, you know, as many people kind of jumping on ship as we have because it's a quarantine book and I don't have like a household name. This is like my debut. So I'm pretty much nobody to, to the average buyer who goes to the store. Um, so to hear all these people being like, wow, we enjoy it and, and see pictures of it in Barnes and Noble and other stores, I'm, I'm floored. Like, I still feel like these, these are all like you guys are all in on this really deep prank and <laughs> like, I'm going to get over there and be like, see, I knew it wasn't, I, there, my book's not in the stores, that, that's impossible. It must be resonating with a lot of people because when I went in to purchase it, like you said, it was released in August, 2020, but I got it late February of 2021. And the section that they had for it was at like they would do for a new release. Oh, wow. With, you know, a couple front facing and then a couple beside it. So I wasn't even aware to like got home and started Fancy. researching. Yeah, that it's been out <laughs> since August. And like you, uh, you see on social media, some of the stores have the full tables of it. Yeah. So 
Uh, March has been, it was uh, Barnes and Noble's sci-fi speculative fiction book of the month. Oh, awesome. was super freaking flattering and kind of flooring at the same time. So this whole month, I've had a lot of people being like, I've never heard of this. I've purchased <laughs> it. And I'm like, I hope you enjoy it because I'm just here. <laughs> now, for everyone listening too, I should specify that this is Lyndon's debut novel. And that's why yeah. the things we're discussing right now are you know, a really big deal. Yeah, a really big deal and really mm-hmm. flattering and really honoring and really uh, like scary at the same time. <laughs> and like I said, I feel like everybody's kind of in on this extremely long con prank and I'm going to get back to the States and be like, I wrote a book. And they're going to be like, no, you didn't. We pranked you. So you're originally from the States then? Yes, I'm from, well, I have lived in Atlanta, Georgia for the decade before I moved to Madrid. I'm from Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, from a tiny town in Georgia, but I like to say that I'm from Atlanta because that's right. my my heart city is Atlanta. That, when I'm talking to people, I'm from Kingston and it's in Ontario, Canada, but it's close enough to Toronto and Ottawa. I'll just drop those names so people yeah. have an understanding. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of, because if you name like the tiny city, they're going to be like, where, where? is that? Like, Atlanta. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I know Atlanta. <laughs> I know where that is. That's the big one. Everyone knows that one. And what brought you over there where you are now? Uh, Funnily enough, I lost my job as a graphic designer. They decided to kind of outsource. And I was kind of sitting with half the first sister done and going, well, I need a job. Uh, I guess I could finish writing this thing and see if it sells. Mm -hmm. Let's see what else. I I know some people in Madrid. Oh, I could do graphic design freelance while I'm writing over there. Like the freelance contracts are are pretty you know favorable over in Spain and oh really yeah yeah it's it's nice uh Germany and Spain I feel like they have really really nice uh, freelance stuff I don't know any German <laughs> I know <laughs> some Spanish so I was like you know what Spain I'll go over Spain and, and I know people who are in the the business sector over here and doing startups mm-hmm. and so I figured if it doesn't work out I'll go over there for three months and then I'll come back <laughs> and maybe I'll have the book written and I got over here and I got a visa. So I got to stay for a year and sold the book. And so I just have decided to stay. They keep giving me a visa. So I'll keep staying. <laughs> and you said uh, you sold the book and I the whole trilogy is sold then? Yep. The sequel is coming out August 24th, 2021. Oh, a year after essentially the first. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when the third one's coming out. We had wanted to kind of do it in like either six to nine months increments because I'm a really really fast writer right but with the pandemic it's kind of backed things up so it it ended up being like one year (laughs) instead of the like six to nine months now you were raised in Georgia I assume that's how you ended up yeah in the walking dead which is yes something that's in your bio there yeah (laughs) can you tell us a bit about that because that's really awesome I know a lot of people who are listening are big fans of the walking dead oh yeah yeah so I was going to art school at the time when they started filming The Walking Dead. And uh, in art school, I had kind of fallen in with this group of people that worked at a haunted house. Okay. And the guy would, you know, the guy who ran the haunted house is like, oh, we need people to paint the sets and paint the walls. And we need costume designers and we need people who do masks. Okay, yeah. And if you want to work here during the season, we'll give you money to scare the crap out of people. And I was like, yes, that sounds like a great job. I'm very good at that. <laughs> So we 
me and a bunch of friends were working at this haunted house and the walking dead set people called up the owner of the haunted house and was like, we need zombie actors. Do you have zombie actors? We need a lot of zombie actors. And he was like, I've got like 200. And they were like, yep, send them all over. Send all 200 zombie actors over. Oh, wow. So we went to kind of like this zombie school. I, I know like on the season one, like DVD box set, there's like extras that show you like the zombie school. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube too. Okay. Where they kind of put us all through like this zombie school and they they were like, oh yeah, you know, writing down our names, like zombie number 27 is great. Like we want them to do this thing. And for the episode one, when it's like the zombie, there's literally over 200 zombies. The majority of those zombies were all the people who worked at that haunted house. <laughs> wow. That's a huge like cast of extras too. 200. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. huge. They had like four different rows of people. If you were like in a group, you had like the best makeup and you had like all the prosthetics and you had gigantic sclera contacts. If you were in B group, you had pretty good makeup and and maybe little contacts and a couple of right. you no know, prosthetic pieces. If you were in C group, you had a mask. And if you were in D group, <laughs> you probably just looked like a human with ripped clothes because you're so far away from the camera, you're a blur. And you were up in A group? I was in A group. For episode one, I was in B or C group. And then for episode two, I was in A group. And I was just kind of standing around and they were like, hey, you're very tall and skinny. And I'm like, you talking to me? They're like, yeah, come here. Um, and they were like, okay, what we need you to do is walk up to like Glenn and Carl. No, it's not Carl. It's Rick. Yeah. It's Glenn and Rick and like sniff them. And I'm like, okay. Okay. (laughs) So, so yeah, that's how I had my like five seconds of zombie fame. And how long did you spend in makeup? Cause that looks like it would be 14 hours. Really? Yeah, but we did, and it was really hot. They were like, oh, we're supposed to be filming like a winter scene, Mm -hmm. but it's dead ass summer in Atlanta. So it's over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit and we're melting and like the makeup is melting off our faces. So they had to keep like quickly trying to fix us. I was about to ask if that was a stupid question. I was about to say, how does the makeup stay on when it's that hot? It doesn't. <laughs> wow. So essentially probably every take they're just sitting there touching you up. Yeah, every take for the uh for the people who are right at the camera, they're every take they were having to spray us down because they had like these bottles of like uh dye color. So they would be like, Okay, now open your mouth and they would spray your teeth like brown or black. Oh. And they were like, try to breathe through your mouth so you don't like and you're like <laughs> like you don't wanna like melt their makeup right. because they put it on your teeth too and your your you know your cheekbones are falling off it's like i didn't even have to act at that point like i i literally felt like a zombie from the heat the budget on makeup alone must have been incredibly large for that production you know the first the first season budget i feel like was good mm-hmm. but like I, they did not expect the success of the first season because right. the second season like I, I wasn't on the second season, but my my friend was. She was on both the first and second season. And were they from the Haunted House group of zombies? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, they were. And they were telling me, like, the second season went above and beyond. Like, the, the, the food was better and the tents were better <laughs> and the makeup. Like, they had more makeup artists and they had more of a, you know, a, a costume department where, you know, I've, I've, I've done extra work on, like, Marvel stuff, too. 
and a few other movies just oh cool yeah i was like a blur in the background of civil war the captain america movie. oh awesome uh one of our former guests uh justin howell was a his stuntman and he's been a bunch of the marvel uh stuff so that's who's, really who's who's he the stuntman of uh so he in endgame was uh part of the chitari and he just does like the extra stuff like that so he was no one big in that that's but cool. he does hawk and titans as a main oh sweet yeah and currently he's in budapest filming the halo tv series as master chief stunt double what okay i know really so cool apparently i need to i need to jump over to budapest somebody shoot me in the arm with the vaccine real quick i gotta go to budapest and watch master chief but, but yeah some cool <laughs> shit. I, I just think it's really cool having connections like that happen on the show so it's awesome that you were in yeah. marvel productions at like obvious, obviously like, a giant fan <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. actually the the Walking Dead. Um, they pay their extras really well, I guess, because it's like a billion degrees. They're like, oh, <laughs> we feel bad for you. They've stayed in Georgia and like or Atlanta the whole time, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and Marvel now has like a sound stage and a setup stage that they bought because land is ridiculously cheap in Georgia, com- right. especially compared to like L.A. It's like why everyone comes up to Toronto to film because it's just so much cheaper. Yeah. Like in uh, Black Panther, they were like, okay, now we're going to go to this museum, which I think it was supposed to be a museum in New York or something. And I was like, oh, that's the High Museum in Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) The SCAD dorms are right around the corner. That's where I used to live. So something that's all over your profiles is that you also do LARPing and cosplaying. For everyone listening, LARPing stands for live action role playing. And tabletop. Does that, one, influence your writing and two that must have helped play into getting those roles in the tv and stuff as well ironically i did the tv stuff before i did the larping thing so i always really yeah i always did uh tabletop role playing and was interested in acting but i'm also not a kind of person who likes to wake up at three or four five in the morning so i decided acting was Fair. not yeah <laughs> <laughs> i i like to sleep I much more liked the creative side of of being behind the camera. So if I ever have a chance to write for a TV show or a movie, I'm totally game for that because I don't think you have to wake up at three or four or five in the morning. Whereas I definitely had to do that for all my extra work. Yep. Uh, and definitely saw the actors there at three or four or five in the morning. So they're they're doing it too. <laughs> but yeah, so I got into LARPing actually once I moved to Europe. I'd always done tabletop role-playing and I always thought that was super helpful to get into the minds of characters that were very different than me and what were some of the tabletops you like to play a vampire and masquerade classic a lot of homebrew games yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, I like a lot of especially because I hang out with other creative type people who write their own campaigns and but yeah I'm a I'm a big vampire big vampire fan uh so I got into LARPing and it was kind of a another way for me to say oh maybe I can do a character like I, I want to do a character that's kind of like uh well, I, for an example we did there was a um Handmaid's Tale LARP that one of my friends put on uh and it was it was uh no cis men allowed uh, so any, anybody else yeah and uh so I was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna play an aunt and like really get into the like mind of like an evil aunt so that like when I write Aunt Marche and some of the evil characters for 
like mm-hmm. the second rebel, but especially because there are far more aunts and you're dealing with the Agora in, in the second book, I'll have like far more the brain power of like, okay, I have to be mean to these people because of, you know, I have reasons to be mean. Like I have, I have, it's all under control. And yeah, so it's, it's fun kind of putting aside your moral, (laughs) your moral conscience so that you can extrapolate how these people might believe themselves to be not terrible people. Well, I like to think of it like I'm a big wrestling fan and there's the baby face wrestlers and the heel wrestlers, the bad guys. Yeah. And it took me forever to realize they're just doing their job if I hate them. And that's yeah. definitely the antis, right? Is like, yeah, you're just getting so mad. And then at the end of the chapter, it's like, oh, that was well written if I'm mad. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually mad. <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a very hard time with not agreeing with Soji Val Acura, not with a lot of the things we've seen so far, but especially in like books two and three, he's got like some good arguments. And I think it's because we, we both have the same personality type. Like I'm the quote unquote evil scientist of the MBTI thing. So I'm like, he's got some good arguments. <laughs> like I could see where he's going, but then he like goes a different direction than, than I would. But I, I think that like, if I can, see like some parts of the argument mm-hmm. of the character then like it's going to be more believable and it's it's not going to be just like i'm evil for the sake of being evil which love a good disney villain who's just evil because she didn't get invited to a party or something but <laughs> i want to have like a good reason now earlier you said you wrote all your friends and yourself sort of into your novel i want to touch on that a bit but before we do i realize we haven't really given a synopsis to people listening and I struggle with the issue after I've read a book, especially it's so hard to give a synopsis without spoilers. So quickly, oh, could you just give a brief one for, I know it's <laughs> difficult, right? Yeah. I'm very bad. Cause you're on to two and three as well. So yeah. it's like, what is a spoiler at this point? Oh man. Yeah. Especially cause uh, I'm, I'm that person who's just like, tries to give a synopsis of something. And my partner's like, you just spoiled the whole story. I'm like, but did I? So there's, um, on one side of the war, there are uh, priestesses who cannot speak and are comfort women to soldiers. And on the other side of the war, you have your science technocrats, philosopher kings, uh, super soldiers who are paired through uh, neural implants. And then there's a third sector of these genetically altered humans who live in the asteroid belt and even some outlaws who live out there and everybody just is at war it's a good war no i'm see this is like the worst synopsis it's a fine war there's lots of war and the initial germ of the idea was like the athenians and the spartans in space oh cool yeah so you have the like super war monger people on earth and mars and then you have the philosopher athenians on mercury and on Venus and you um but it's like are you guys are you guys truly peaceful because you're you're really good at war are you <laughs> <laughs> that's when I've been kind of giving synopsis to my friends who like to read I'm like it seems like everyone's working together and at war at the same time <laughs> yeah yeah I just wanted to write something that was like there's no good guy like you think like who oh, the Akari 
they they seem so cool I would live there and it's like they're also not the good guy and you're like but who's the good guy and I'm like no one's the good guy or even uh Leto's <laughs> first few chapters it's like oh okay he he's gonna be the good guy and then you get a few more chapters and it's like mm, he's a guy <laughs> <laughs> he is certainly a guy yeah <laughs> One of the things I really liked while reading, too, is with the sisters, especially just this concept of a religion where, you know, the women have their voice taken from them. And essentially, like you said, are consorts to the soldiers. With that, is there some commentary you're making on society or have I been digging too deep into it? <laughs> so in, initially, the idea was a kind of combination of a couple things. So I have like a Google document that is pages and pages and pages of like ideas and some of them are really dumb ideas but then you'll hear you'll have something that's like priestesses who can't talk and then like a few pages later I was like priestesses for plants and one day I was like you know what maybe I could combine those ideas and like do something with it like because you know women are supposed to be these nurturing like mother nature types and they have to take care of men and and taking care of men also can mean like sexually, it can mean motherly, it can mean sisterly, it can, you know, there's lots of different ways uh, of taking care of someone. And the idea of not being able to speak, they're having their voice taken away, was absolutely 120% commentary. And I don't even feel like it's, it's that subtle. I wrote a blog post, you know, actually, I think it's on John Scalzi's blog. Okay. <laughs> um, he was like, uh, he offered to host like a blog post and I was like, uh, okay, I'm not going to get political. And then I was like five seconds later, like super political about like, you know, women and people who are read as women who are sexually abused, don't feel like they can speak up and they have to live in silence and they don't have like, like, especially if they don't have a name and they don't have like brand recognition, like they can't speak up about their experiences because like nobody's going to believe them over somebody who's like super popular and like say you know whatever entertainment sphere you're part of so that's where the lack of a voice and the lack of a name came from is is who's going to believe these women that nobody knows that like nobody knows who they are or you know they can't tell their story and that's where the initial germ idea came from but yeah i'm i'm not a subtle person <laughs> well and it's super interesting too because it's they have no voice, they're being used, but at the same time, there's this worship and the religion and it's, they're, they're feeling empowered by the goddess too. So as while reading it, I kept, I, I, like almost every chapter I'd go upstairs to my partner and be like, hey, A, B, and C, is this how you, like, you know? And she's just like, yeah, absolutely. And, and let me read the book when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I definitely wanted to, you know, the first the first draft of The First Sister was actually a short story I wrote at a uh, writing workshop. Oh, really? Yeah, it had no aunts in it. And in fact, the first draft of The First Sister novel, period, didn't have Aunt Marche on the ship. It was just like some aunt somewhere off. And I was like, I'm going to make them more threatening because mm -hmm. part of the biggest problem uh, I feel like people have when it comes to speaking out of, of like, any kind of sexual assault is that other even like women are like I'm not like that I don't believe these women either let's you know you all men are good it's fine like they want to pat dudes on the back and like it's it's 
part of the problem. Victim shaming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the first sister was written during a politically uh, crazy time, a.k.a. when Trump was first elected. And I saw that white women had voted for Trump. And I was like, how dare you? You traitors, like. And you were still living in the States at that time. Yeah, I was still living in the States. And I was so pissed that I was like, okay, everybody is is now, like the aunts are totally like based on every white woman who voted for Trump. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna go in here. In fact, I like, I have some some names, like I'm not gonna say they're named exactly the same as some people I knew in person, but they are very close. Like if you squint, (laughs) you'd be like, is that? (laughs) But what is the? point of being a writer if you're not going to like shame people you hate in your own writing (laughs) well and also you know glorify the people you love exactly yeah i do have like a lot of call out names which some people find the little easter eggs like uh rebecca kwong is uh is in the who wrote the poppy war she's like quoted in there farah nasrishi she's uh all these People went to uh, Odyssey writing workshop with me and now they have their own novels out there and they're they're kicking ass and uh, they're all like hidden in the book <laughs> somewhere. Oh, I have like several friends on Facebook that I was like, comment on this status if you are going to let me use your name <laughs> in this book because I have like a lot of people that I need to name and then murder. So comment here if you're cool. <laughs> Also, let me know if you want to be a bad guy because I need a lot of bad guys. And and the start there, you have that um, it's dedicated to Pablo, the yeah. rapier to your dagger. Are you? Are they based off of you? You mean Hero and Leto? Yeah. Leto is actually very much based off my partner, Pablo. And we were living apart at the time. And Pablo was the first reader I had for anything. Like I, I met him at the writing workshop and... He was like probably the first person who really told me like, I think you're going to make it as a, as a writer. And I was like, oh, wow. Like he, he believed in me before I ever believed in myself. And he's read every draft, <laughs> especially because I make it like we were critique partners for like a year before we ever like got together. So he reads everything. Like it's, I keep joking, like we have to get married so that I can like lock down a critique partner <laughs> forever because <laughs> he has to read it. He, he, we, Leto is based off of him to a bit because I always joke that he's like the serious brooding guy and Leto is like the serious brooding guy. And Hero's humor is based off of me to a point. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, Leto and Hero have to get together because they're like similar to you guys. It's like, I'm not promising a damn thing. <laughs> like, if you, if you think that's going to save one of these characters by the end of these books, you're in for a rough ride. <laughs> And honestly, on my end, I didn't get that while reading it, you know, I, I, I got more so what's done is done. Yeah, I well, I, you know, I was making a joke about like, uh, oh, any writer or any reader who thinks happy endings are coming out of this setup. And I was like, kind of shaking my head. My agent was like, but what about Leto and Hero? And I was like, what are you expecting? <laughs> well, and we talked about it off podcast as well. I get a lot of anime and almost samurai film influences in the novel as well. Yeah. Big anime fan. Yeah. My, my, yes, my initial kind of 
I don't know, my germ of creativity came from watching anime when I got home from like school every day, like run home from school and watch anime. Right. So I still definitely have like big influences of it. And uh, the other, I mean, sci-fi in general, like the, I tried to take some good stuff from the expanse, but I don't have the science background. I had to ask a lot of scientists for help with this book because (laughs) I am not a scientist. Right. And I, uh, so I asked some PhD, people with PhDs, so they're much smarter than me. you like, is this plausible? Like if we make up, and the answer was we make up an element. So we made up Hermium so that these things could work because otherwise impossible. Yep. But yeah, the, the, gema, the germ of fight scenes definitely has come from, from anime and then some from, uh, from LARPs I've done. Like we did a pirate LARP where there was lots of- right. Lots of sword fighting. And I'm not a very good sword fighter. Pablo's a fencer though. So Oh really? A lot of the a lot of the um mercurial blade fencing is specifically based off of the rapier and dagger style that he does. And because I could ask him, like, okay, no, now hold the sword. Okay, that's what that looks like. All right, now, okay, so what's the best way to go disarm that guy? Okay, cool. All right. So I'm going to take notes. <laughs> That's really awesome. And how long has he been doing that for? Over a decade. I don't know. Longer than me. <laughs> and have you ever tried with him? Uh, I'm very bad. I've tried in, just to get like uh, kind of some of the footwork to kind of like figure it out. Uh, but I have like very bad knees and I have a very, just my right leg in general is kind of a, a messed up situation so I'm not very good at any kind of thing where I have to put weight on only one leg so fencing was is not something I could do long term (laughs) but I've I I kind of got like a basic setup sort of a thing and enough to where when I go to a LARP I don't look like an idiot (laughs) when you LARP what are your kind of do you have a long ongoing game or is it sort of like D&D where there's campaigns and it's done. Usually the ones I do are kind of the Nordic style LARP where it's you go for a weekend, you have your character that uh, you're signed mm-hmm. and you play that character and then it's it's over. So you got, you know, anywhere from two to three days. Okay, go home. You've got your full story. I have recently done, well, before the pandemic, I did multiple episodes of the Witcher LARP, which is um, oh, in fun. Poland. It, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. You think like, okay, Witcher world, sweet. But they they stick you out in the Polish woods in the middle of the night and you have like people with masks making funky noises and, and it doesn't become people with masks anymore. It becomes, there's a damn monster in the woods and I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> and of course my character is supposed to be like, badass not afraid of anything and i'm like <laughs> so i have to like pretend like yeah i'm not scared <laughs> and i'm like I i'm a witcher i know it's like i'm 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 a witcher i'm not scared meanwhile on the inside i'm like oh, i'm scared of the dark and also i don't want to fall in a hole <laughs> so with the larping too like you mentioned earlier that's where you kind of get to put yourself in the mindset of new people and explore really how to flush them out with the Novels and writing, though, who has been some influences to you? Do you have anyone that's inspired you or specific writers that you've looked up to? Uh, Margaret Atwood, for sure. 
for sure, for sure, for sure. And and not just the Handmaid's Tale comp, but also Oryx and Crake. Um, that whole series is amazing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't say like I also love Red Rising by Pierce Brown. Uh, he also that whole series kind of gave me the germ of the idea of like because there's like a priest uh, priesthood the the whites in the Pierce Brown series, and I was like, and then the pinks, which are the sexual ones, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very kind of like, okay, but like, what if they were the same thing? And of course, uh, you you give me like, oh, this this class of people, they're sexual slaves. And I'm like, all right, but I could imagine that they would be like on the front line of the rebellion being pissed off. Like, yeah, <laughs> let's get that story. Let's go. It was definitely an inspiration. I feel like Margaret Atwood is, is the biggie. N.K. Um, Jemison, I freaking love her work. I don't know. I could go on and on about about stuff and it's weird because now i've i've met some of them so now it's like he was such an inspiration but also i'm gonna like bully you out of friendship (laughs) that's got to be such a cool experience though it's it's weird it's weird yeah yeah especially because you just you you find out like all these people you think are really cool are just as like messed up as you you're like i don't know if i'm gonna sell a book i don't know like who knows if this is gonna work out this this story might suck and and it's like they have the same problems that you do (laughs) look behind the curtain everyone doesn't know what we're doing well coming up to the end here just a few more questions you mentioned that you had a book that just was rejected that came before the first sister yes how long did you shop that around a year um so i tended to like okay my first book i wrote in college and uh, it was kind of a, like, I was doing a writing program at the same time. Cause like, that's what I wanted to do, but I was like, okay, I can't make money writing. So I'll do the graphic design thing. So I did like the graphics packaging for the novel. And, and that was kind of like my final project for college was, but there was actually a novel inside. It wasn't just the cover that I designed. Like there was actually right. stuff you could read and all the packaging and all the like extras, uh, I turned that in as kind of like my final graphic design project. And I didn't really shop that one around. I just kind of was like, okay, I, I like writing novels. This is fun. So I, it took me a year to write the, it was a YA Vikings novel. And uh, after I finished it, I started writing The First Sister almost immediately. So I shopped it around while I was writing The First Sister. Right. And once once I finished The First Sister, I was like, okay, well, obviously nobody wants this Viking one, so we'll just put it away and try and shop The First Sister. And I started writing something else while I was shopping The First Sister around. So that's funny that it didn't pick up traction because there's so much popularity around Vikings in culture and media right now, and yep. there's not really a YA angle that's kind of interesting yeah i've i've thought about maybe like dusting it off and trying again now that then again i i'm such like i can see the difference that i've i've had between the writer i used to be and the writer i am now so i don't want to rewrite it (laughs) get start from scratch yeah it would it would end up being like a giant project again which i mean i guess every novel is it's not like i could just dust off this thing and be like let's sell it i'd have to be like no none of this will survive i must burn it to the ground and rebuild it stronger another really interesting line that stuck out with me that i've actually been quoting and showing my friends is the flashback where hero and leto first meet in school 
and you know the bullies are kind of like are you a boy are you a girl and the response is just essentially you know I'm a boy. I'm a girl. I'm neither. What's it matter? It's none of your business. And that's really stuck out with me and really resonated as over the course of the last year, I've had several friends come out to me as pansexual, other, etc. So I'm also the whole theme of this podcast is growth education. And it is a selfish format for me to learn and, you know, self-educate myself. And again, just the themes of, you know, gender identities and whatnot in the book really stuck out to me. So I just wanted to ask you what advice you have to any of my queer listeners or people struggling with their identity, thinking it might affect their work, their jobs, their career going forward. Yeah, that that scene that you just quoted is probably like if I had to pick uh, my favorite quote out of the entire book, it's that one. Me too. Uh, And I think it's because that was the most selfish thing I've ever written was and that's that's how I feel like I can answer is both neither who gives a fuck it's none of your business like unless you're a friend of mine or you know it's not it's not your business it's at the end of the day it's not hurting you Mm -hmm. and and unfortunately we do live in a time where it can get you fired and it can you know come coming out at work I mean Georgia is a fire at will state wow I tried to keep my personal life very quiet when I lived there because letting them think that I was a cis straight woman worked for me. Like they didn't need to know anything else. Now, as a Canadian, I just have to ask, does fire on what, sorry, how did you phrase it? It's, it's fire at will. It means you can be fired for anything. And that's past probation period. Yep. Scary. You can, I mean, they can, they can say like, oh, it wasn't that because, you know, they don't want like a civil rights lawsuit, right, on them. Right. but, but they can, they absolutely can. So it's, you know, and I, I have several friends there who are trans and have difficulty finding work at all mm-hmm. because Georgia is Atlanta, not so much. It's kind of like your blue bastion. Hey, though, we did go blue this past ooh, Senate, race, yeah. but for the most part, Georgia has a lot of red areas still. And a lot of closed-mindedness yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially in the southern states. And, I mean, I know people in the northern states who have to, to deal with it, too. I don't know about Canada. You guys seem like a land of wondrous sugar and, and candy and beauty. And they, they don't want Americans because we all want to go up there. So, Like everywhere we have our good and we have our bad. I'd be lying if I said everywhere was... Yeah, open minded and straight, you know, straightforward like that. But I grew up personally in a very small town to, you know, the point where I feel a lot of my friends probably will never come to terms with their sexuality due to the bullying that, you know, through the aughts went around homosexuality alone, let alone transgender. So again, living in small towns, and then I've lived in Toronto and got to see, you know, a more open-minded city. Mm -hmm. So I'd be lying if I said it's not around, but yes, the bigger cities are more, you know, open-minded, but the smaller towns, they're they're catching up. You still got some problems. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, my advice to, to anybody who's listening, and if, I mean, sexuality and gender is so fluid that things change too. Mm-hmm. You you might feel one way today and tomorrow another and or years and you have to accept at the end of the, the day that that you are who you are. 
you have to look in the mirror and you have to do whatever you need to do. And, and to, to know yourself, to find yourself. And once you know, and find yourself to live as authentically as possible. And whether that is still being closeted at work, like I was uh, when I worked in Georgia, mm-hmm. that was fine for me because I didn't want to lose my job in a, in a very Republican ish company. Like I knew the people in control were super Republicans. And eventually I did lose my job because of not, not related to being queer, but I did lose my job because the, the woman who took over wasn't very fond of me being a uh, tattooed, punky. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't look like somebody who fits in a, in a business, according to, to them. One of my first jobs was at a future shop, and I always had to have my sleeves down to cover my tattoos. And they ended up firing my manager, who was gay. Totally made up reasons. It was because the manager above him was old bigoted you know yeah conservative and guy that's, from and that's town. what happens you can say mm-hmm. you know oh it wasn't because they're gay you, you i mean you can give any oh he was late two minutes and it's like okay but yeah whether whether that authentic living for you is is only at home or whether it's when you're writing or when you're creating art you are that authentic you uh whatever it keeps you safe, but also happy. And unfortunately I can't give a blanket statement of like, yeah, come out. You got to come out of the closet because it's not safe for everybody everywhere. And a lot of, especially a lot of young teens, if I could go back in time, I would shake myself and be like, don't come out to your parents. Don't come out to your parents. Not yet. (laughs) Wait until you wait until you have money. You don't want to live in a car. Well, Lyndon, thank you so much for being on the show today. That's a really great spot to end it. But other than the next part in the trilogy coming out is there anything this year we can look forward to from you the second book coming out uh i would love to try and and get some short stories published here and there i don't have any plans for it yet and i would love to make some appearances it's only march so i'm crossing my fingers that we're gonna have some conventions happening once we have like a majority vaccinated population I would love to come and visit and do some signings. Uh, I'm, I'm really amazing. just waiting on seeing, mm-hmm. you know, vaccine schedules, safety for travel. Cause I, I don't want to do anything that's not going to be safe for me and for other people. Um, but eventually if I have any more information on that, uh, anybody exactly. who follows me at Lyndon A. Lewis uh, on Twitter, uh, I put everything up there. So hopefully we'll see something i i really hope to do some signings and stuff in the in the future this year knock on wood i'd i'd love to be able to see you at a signing too sometime soon like i you would said. love it yeah call, somebody call call a canada convention i'll come to canada easy easy peasy i would love to see canada <laughs> i feel like it's also a great excuse to travel it's like if a convention invites me and they're like yeah you can have like this space to sign i'll be like yeah and i want to see the city <laughs> just let me go there i will eat everything in your your native culture's food let me come oh my goodness yeah you have to go to if you come to canada go to quebec get proper poutine in quebec that's i will i will i will go most canadian advice (laughs) i think i could give you i will take this challenge or beaver tails in the winter i'll eat it i don't know what it is but i'll eat it i i'm i'm like the like a garbage disposal of food so 
Well, Lyndon, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Thanks for having me. Great time. Hope to have you uh, ha- have you on for a second interview when the second book comes out. Oh, yeah. Second Rebel, August 24th, 2021. It's coming faster and faster. <laughs> Every day I blink and it's like, oh, God, it's almost here. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. This episode made possible by my patrons, Jess H and Trev B. If you like what I do and want to support the show, consider signing up as a patron for exclusive interviews, early releases, and more. Links for that in the description as always. Peace.